Father God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are God in heaven and you are most worthy of praise. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you died for us and you made a way for us to live eternally by your blood, by your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that you rose again from the grave. And Jesus, you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us. And today we ask that you would fill us again, that you would embolden us to go out to share this good news. So Father, be glorified, be magnified, and go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. You know, recently, uh, a couple of my girlfriends from high school have contacted me and they're like, Amy, it's our 10-year high school reunion. We got to start planning. And so we've been planning and starting to get all of the, the ducks in a row, contacting our high school friends and all of that. And I know you're probably thinking, man, she doesn't look old enough to be 10 years out of high school. Well, I can assure you this, I don't act like it either. So um, <laughs> that's why I'm the youth pastor, right? So anyways, uh, I've been getting really excited about this. We've started booking um, places and, and food and all of that stuff, you know, contacting all of our our grad class from 06 and and it's been really fun but you know I started to realize wow I'm getting really insecure I'm starting to think I haven't seen these people for like 10 years and like to go back to Saskatchewan and see all these people that I went to high school with and I'm starting to think what are they going to think of me what are, what are they going to think? And of course, those questions come up about, oh, uh, like, uh, yeah, this is my husband, and these are my kids. And it's like, oh, I'm starting to get embarrassed, like, relationally. I don't have kids, you know? Like, I start to wonder what's going on. And then I wonder, what are they going to think about my life? Because, of course, jobs come up, and people always ask, oh, yeah, so what do you do? What are you doing now? And, and I started to get insecure about that. I started to wonder, what, what are my high school friends going to think about the fact that I'm a youth pastor? That, that I have spent my life thus far sharing the gospel with young people. That, that I've given my life to the church. You know, what are they going to think? Are they going to think, Amy, that you're ridiculous. You know, a lot of my friends from high school have wandered from the Lord. They're no longer walking with him. And I started to get insecure. What are they going to think of me? Are they going to think my life is a joke? That I'm wasting my life? And that I'm really just stuck back in high school or something? believing a lie, you know, I started to get really insecure. And I hate that I'm insecure about this stuff. I hate that this even rose up in me. Why am I insecure about where I stand in, in my faith in Jesus? Why did that even come over me? What happened? You know, I think all of us in the room have had moments of insecurity at one time or another. Maybe it's in regards to your job, feeling like you're not doing your job well. Maybe it's in regards to, to making new friends or to go into a new school. Maybe, maybe you just want to hide when you get around people in the church because I can't open up and be vulnerable. I've got too much in me. And so we get insecure about even opening up about where we're coming from in life. You know, we, we face so many different insecurities in this life. And working with high school students, I know that it plagues them in high school and middle school, wondering who am I? What are people thinking about me? You know, we could look at all of these different insecurities and how God wants to set us free, but there's one insecurity in particular that I wanna look at, and it's in regards to our faith. You know, I hate that I was insecure about this dumb high school reunion in regards to my faith. Why wasn't I excited to reconnect with these people 
to share the gospel again or to encourage them or to challenge them or to say, look, this is what God's done in my life. You know, I'm a pastor. I should be, I should be past this. I hated that it comes up, but you know what? I don't think I'm the only one. I think a lot of us maybe struggle or, or find fear or insecurities when we, when we think about sharing the gospel with the people in our lives. Sometimes we wonder, what are people gonna think of me? You know, and I take solace in the fact because I know that I'm not the only one who sometimes struggles with this or sometimes feels fear or anxiety about sharing the gospel. In fact, in scripture, there's another pastor who had to be encouraged to continue to share the gospel. So if you want to flip in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And just a bit of background about this, uh, this passage as you're flipping there. So Paul wrote to Timothy, his younger apprentice. He's a, he's a pastor in Ephesus. Paul left him there. And, and he wrote one letter, which was 1 Timothy. And now this is his second letter, 2 Timothy. Or if you're one of my students, you call it Timothy the sequel, which I love. So um, this is his second letter to Timothy. And so Timothy and Paul have had a lot of, of history together. Um, on Paul's first missionary journey, he may have met Timothy at that point in Lystra where Timothy was from and maybe even brought Timothy to know the Lord. Regardless if he did or didn't meet Timothy on that first missionary journey, uh, on the second one, Paul meets him and says, hey, Timothy, why don't you come along with me? We're gonna, we're gonna go and share the gospel together. So Timothy joins Paul and goes on the second missionary journey and then continues on the third missionary journey with Paul. And so we know at the end of the third missionary journey, Paul goes to Jerusalem, gets put in prison, gets captured, that kind of thing, and then gets sent to Rome. And in Rome, he's under house arrest, basically, for a couple of years. And it seems as though Timothy was actually there with him in Rome, waiting for him to stand trial because the prison letters, so Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, they all mention that Timothy was one of the writers, was probably the one writing as Paul dictated. You know, they have a lot of history together. So now this letter is sent. And it's after Acts 28. They think that Paul probably got released from house arrest and went on a fourth missionary journey. And he, he commissions Timothy to stay in Ephesus to stay in Ephesus and continue to oversee the church, help it grow and, and mature while, Tim, or while Paul continued on. But Paul continued on and eventually he was imprisoned again, but this time most likely under the rule of Nero, who was a horrible emperor, like horrific things that he did to Christians. And so now Paul is chained like a criminal, awaiting to be executed in prison. And he writes this letter, last instructions to his Dear young apprentice, Timothy. And so as we read this, I want you to put, your, put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Think about what it would be like to be Timothy, reading this from your father figure, from your mentor, who's awaiting execution because of his faith. So let's start in verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I remember and recall your tears along with, or I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. 
I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul opens up and he says, Timothy, you're like a dear son to me. You, you can see this heartfelt emotion from Paul to this young man that he, he watched grow up in the Lord. And he's, in 1 Timothy, it even says, you are the true son, or my true son in the faith. In the book of Philippians, he talks about how Timothy was like a son to Paul. You can feel this, this uh, connection between them that they had a lot of history together. They were good friends. Paul was like his dad. And Paul says, Timothy, I'm praying for you. I pray for you and I remember when we said goodbye in Ephesus when I left you there and how, how hard that was because we were wondering if this would be the last time that we'd see each other in this life. But I continue to pray for you constantly and what I'm praying is that because of your sincere faith, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to do something. So, so he, he reminds him of these things. You know, I think about notes when I get different notes from different people. And maybe you've received one from a parent that says, I love you, and how much that means to you. Or maybe from a teacher saying, I'm proud of you. Or from a mentor saying, hey, I've been praying for you. Or from somebody you respect saying, hey, I've just been thinking about you. Those notes mean so much to me. The written word means so much. I can only imagine how exponentially more meaningful this letter would have been to Timothy from his father figure who's about to die. You know, he would have been hanging on every single word written and reading it over and over again. So Paul starts out this way, my dear son, and then he moves on in verse six, and it says, for this reason, for this reason. So because of your sincere faith, I'm gonna ask you to do something out of your sincere faith, and he says, to fan into flame. Fan into flame. Yeah, I love camping, okay? I, I absolutely love it. And one of the things that I love the most about camping are campfires. I don't wanna have food unless we're cooking it over the fire. You know, like, I love campfires. And my dad taught me how to swing an ax when I was young. I've definitely cut myself and missed a couple times, but I'm working on it. I'm almost perfected it. Um, you know, I love chopping wood. I love chopping the little kindling and then getting the kindling all set up like a teepee. And then you got the log house around it with the bigger logs. And I love watching watching the fire consume the wood. I love how fires are actually mesmerizing, how people are just like zoned out and watching these fires burn, right? I love how fires, you can feel the heat. You know, and when you're starting to get cold, you do the rotisserie around the fire to kind of warm every side of you, right? I love how fires, it illuminates the people around it. And you can see their faces, you see, you see the emotions on their face. I love campfires. I love also with campfires that when it's burned down a little bit and you got those embers and you get nice golden brown marshmallows for the s'mores, right? That you only have one of, come on. <laughs> you know, uh, I love that. But then after you're done eating your fill of s'mores and you want the flame again so that you can see people, what do you have to do? You gotta gather the coals together, maybe put more firewood on it, stoke the fire, and then what we do, I love Frisbee as well. Frisbee during the day is great entertainment, but during the night, you grab the Frisbee and you fan the flame as much as you can, or you fan the embers until, poof, the flame appears again. 
See, as you add the oxygen, oxygen is what a fire needs to burn brighter and burn bigger. This is the analogy that Paul's talking about. Hey, fan into flame. Fan it into flame. Get that frisbee and get going. Fan it into flame. But what does he want us to fan into flame? It's our gifts. He says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame your gifts, Timothy. You know, Timothy's gifts, it may have been leadership. It might have been uh, organization. It might have been a pastoral gift. There's a lot of op- options. You know, in the first and second Timothy, there's a lot of inter- uh, information as to how to structure a church, how to oversee it, that kind of thing. So either pastoral or administrative, who knows? But Timothy had these gifts. He knew what they were. And sometimes there's debate as to whether or not Timothy's fire had waned, whether it had been kind of burned down, and there's just little embers burning. You know, regardless though, like Timothy went through a lot. I don't know if his fire had actually flamed out, but regardless, this is Paul's last letter to Timothy, last final instruction. And he's saying, hey, your fire should never burn out, but rather continue to fan it so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and brighter. Keep fanning the flame of your gifts. Use your gifts. And it says that these gifts were given to, to Timothy by the laying on of Paul's hands. Now, it, it's kind of, sometimes it's like, what is going on? And we wonder what this, what this significance is. And so in the Old Testament, they would lay hands on for a couple different reasons. One was to bless people. So you think of Jacob when he blessed uh, Joseph's sons, right? And he crosses his hands. So blessing was imparted. Another reason that they would lay hands on someone is to say, hey, you've been commissioned for this responsibility. So Moses, he laid hands on um, Oh, I'm gonna, Joshua, it was a J name. I, uh, so many J names, right? <laughs> um, so he laid hands on Joshua and says, you are commissioned in front of the whole assembly, the whole nation of Israel. And so then Joshua led them. He, in the New Testament, those two ideas still continued. But then we also see laying on of hands in healing. That's why when we have the altar open, we lay hands on you. Because we believe God has ordained this, for uh, called us to lay hands on the sick and to pray for healing. It's not because we are awesome, but because God wants to bless and wants to show himself in that situation. Uh, we also see that laying on of hands is for imparting spiritual gifts. Like Timothy, he received his spiritual gifts and he was acknowledged, you know, like the, Timothy's gifts were acknowledged. He was set apart. He was commissioned to carry out those tasks by those around him who saw those gifts. It's not that he received them because of Paul. It wasn't from Paul. Rather, it was from God. We get our spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. But he also says, hey, lay hands on people because it's a lot of times through that laying on of hands that gifts are ignited, that they're sparked, or that they're imparted. In Hebrews 6, it even says that this is one of the elemental teachings of our faith, to lay hands on people. What are your gifts? You know, God blesses and fills people over and over again. He says, hey, you're supposed to continuously, constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday morning, Pastor Paul meets with his men, and they pray for him, and they lay hands on him saying, Holy Spirit, fill him again, anoint him again. And I get that opportunity when I get up here for for those men to then lay hands and anoint and say, God, fill Amy. Fill her so that she can speak this message. You know, we're supposed to constantly be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul's reminding Timothy of his past, of his genuine, his sincere faith, and encouraging him to continue to use those gifts to let them burn bright. Continue to fan them into flame. But here's the reality. It wasn't just Timothy who's gifted. All of us have been given gifts. All of us have received gifts. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've declared him as Lord and Savior, you have gifts. You have spiritual gifts that he wants to ignite in you. But maybe you're like, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I don't know what that even means. And it actually kind of creeps me out. Well, that's okay. You know, that's maybe a good place to be at because then God can do what he wants to do. But I'd encourage you, if you don't know your gifts, read through these chapters this week. Read through Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Read through Ephesians 4. Get to know your gifts. Get to know what the gifts are and then start saying, hey, Holy Spirit, what are the gifts you want to impart to me? What are the gifts you want me to fan into flame? What are those spiritual gifts that you have given me? Because you know what? We can't claim them. God gives them. They're gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. So there's spiritual gifts, but there's also natural gifts. All of us have natural gifts. You know, I love that people, or God has given some people to be technology, or technology, yeah, Techie, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> so I love that God has given people to do tech stuff because I'm like horrible with that stuff. I'm like, don't get me around a soundboard, I'll probably wreck it, you know? I love that we have people who do that. I love how some people are mechanical. I love how some people are artistic. I love how some people can cook really well. I wish I could. That's where my envy comes out, so I gotta pray for forgiveness then. You know, um, I love how some people are just so hospitable. Like, what are your natural gifts? Some people are athletic. Some people are smart. What are your natural gifts? See, God gives spiritual gifts. He gives natural gifts. And then he asks us to use those gifts in the platform and the situations that God has given us in life or placed us in. So what are the platforms or the situations that you're in? Who are the people you rub shoulders with? Obviously, maybe it's in your home and then in your neighborhood and then at your workplace, maybe in your school, maybe in, um, in your grocery store, maybe at your doctor's office. You know, like uh, it could be anywhere. What are the situations God has placed you in right now that he's calling you and me to use our gifts in, our spiritual and our natural gifts? What are those? But here's the thing. Here's my question is why are we given those gifts? Why are we given those gifts? You know, gifts aren't, like in our natural, in our North American culture, the reason we think we're gifts, it's for me. You know, Christmas, yes, I get the gifts. You know, you get your gifts and we get to enjoy them. Well, in the same sense, I guess, like spiritual gifts, we get to enjoy them as we use them, but you know what? They're not for me. My gifts are not for me. The spiritual gifts that I'm given, my natural gifts that I'm given are actually supposed to be gifts that continue to give. They're specifically for the people around me, the people around you. And if we try to hold on to our gifts and say, no, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me, we're actually gonna quench the spirit and quench our gift so that it's just maybe a little candle or just a little burning ember when it's supposed to be a bright bonfire. Are we trying to just hide our gifts? Are we trying to cover it? Well, then it doesn't get oxygen and then it's gonna die. What are we doing with our gifts? 
And why are we given these gifts? They're not for us, they're for the people around us. And so why was Timothy supposed to fan into flame the gift of God? And the answer comes in the next couple of verses. In verse seven, it says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And that is awesome. We're gonna come back to this, and a lot of times we just stop right there, but I think we gotta keep going, because then it says, so... So, the reason that God has given you these gifts, the reason that he's given you the Holy Spirit of power, love, and self-discipline is so that we're not supposed to be ashamed. It says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Why are we given gifts? We're to testify. We're to testify to the gospel. The gospel that says our God came down in human flesh. Why did he do that? Because we were lost in sin. The wages of sin is death. We cannot be in God's presence or have a relationship or fellowship with God because of our sin. And God saw that and he said, I gotta do something about them. I have to do something for them. So God himself came down in human flesh as Jesus walked among us, lived a perfect life, but he did it all, why? To die. To die for you and for me. And that's what we, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Good Friday shouldn't have been called good. But in light of Sunday, it's awesome. Because our God conquered sin and death once for all when he rose again from the grave. And he ascended into heaven 40 days later. And, and then he poured out his spirit at Pentecost. And we can walk with God today. We can have assurance and hope not only in this life, but the life to come. Hallelujah. When I close my eyes here, I get to be with him there. That's the gospel that we are supposed to testify to. You know, God, like Jesus, why, yeah, I just get so excited about this. You know, like we're supposed to testify in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to testify. Bring other people to Jesus. You know, to testify to the gospel. Paul continues on and he talks about this. In verse 8, it says, or in verse 8b, it says, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul was ready to die ready to die for his faith. And he says, hey, join me with it. And the way that I suffer, I know I can go through anything by the power of God. And he continues on, who has saved us and has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done. We're not good enough. That's why Jesus had to die for us. It's not because I'm awesome, but because of his purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's saying, he goes over the gospel and he says, look, this is what, why we should testify. It should compel us. The gospel should compel us. What Jesus did should compel us to testify, even to the point of suffering like Paul did. How are we doing? How, how bold are we? You know, why would we be willing to suffer and to testify for the gospel? Number one, because Jesus did. He was a faithful witness. And he was the first one to go to the cross. You know, we might be mocked. We might be thought of as weird or intolerant. But is it worth it? Because Jesus already has gone that path. 
You know, this is what Jesus did. He came to give us eternal life. And it's not enough for me to hold it in. I actually have to share it to those around me. Jesus called us to go make disciples. He called us to testify to the gospel. He called us to have passion for God and what? Compassion for people. How are we doing that? Paul is reminding of us to use our gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit to testify. This is what he's encouraging us. And I think that this call is pertinent and very important for the church in North America today. We need to, you know, I love our church. I know Pastor Paul brags about you guys because you guys are awesome. We love our church. We have so many amazing people here. And yes, we have like maybe, yeah, around 850 people every Sunday in church. And that's awesome. But we live in a city of 100,000 people. Maybe with generous numbers, 80,000 people are lost. 80,000 people don't know Jesus. That's our neighbors. Those are our teachers. Those are our friends, potentially. The people that we play soccer with or baseball. 80,000 people. How are we fanning into flame our gifts to testify so that we may see more and more and more people get saved? You know, in North America, it seems like we've become silent. And I think there's a few reasons why we've become silent. And I think the first one is that we're just so distracted. We, we don't even think about eternity anymore, it seems. We're, we're so distracted and we, maybe subconsciously we think, well, at least I'm saved. I have a little coal and I'm going to heaven. But what about spreading the fire? Spreading the gospel to those who don't have that. Who we know are not going to heaven because they haven't accepted Jesus. You know, uh, sometimes we may think, well, it was probably easier in, in that time and period in Ephesus because it, they, it wasn't as busy and distracting. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was easier to be focused, but maybe not. Ephesus was a massive city. It wasn't one of the third or fourth largest cities at that time. 250,000 people they think, lived in Ephesus at this time. And it was a very affluent society, or a city. You know, there was a port there, a harbor, so lots of trade, lots going on, and wealthy. Kind of like Alberta has been in the past number of years. You know, very affluent. And not only that, but, but they had, so down in Calgary, the Saddle Dome seats 19,200 and some people. For in the Saddle Dome. That's a pretty big auditorium. Well, in Ephesus, 2,000 years ago, they had a theater, an amphitheater, that seated 24,000 people. That's 5,000 more than the Saddle Dome. Arts was, was a big thing in Ephesus. You know, kind of like maybe movies are a big thing here. And we get distracted by media and TV and movies. You know, also then, they had one of the seven wonders of the world in Ephesus. The, the temple of Artemis, or Diana, this goddess, this Greek goddess. And, and the thing about this, it was beautiful. It was this marble temple, you know, just gorgeous. But with this cult came a lot of prostitution and debauchery. Kind of like our society. You know, it might have been easier to focus then, but maybe not. Maybe they were just as distracted. And so Paul continues to encourage Timothy, Timothy, use your gifts to testify. 
to testify, yes, for us, we are distracted. My cell phone, it drives me crazy sometimes. It drives me crazy how I have to have music on all the time. And I'm so distracted from maybe what God wants to say. We can get distracted by sports, by school, by, by friends, by our jobs, by money, by even church activities. We can get so distracted. And I don't want to heap guilt on you guys. That's not what this is. I know that it's hard sometimes. I struggle with it. And God is doing a work in me and really challenging me. Amy, how are you getting out? How are you sharing the gospel with your neighbors? What are you doing to to impact your community? And I know that there's... That many of you may be going through some hard things that of course demand your attention. And I don't want to be ignorant of that. Of course, some of you are caring for somebody who's sick. And that demands your attention. And it should. You know, some of you maybe have lost your job. That's a really hard situation right now that you're in. Maybe some of you have exams coming up. That demands your attention as well. But here's the thing, that's the situation you're in. How can you use that platform to testify? To testify to God's glory, to his goodness, to the gospel. You know, I think of Nick and Trish Robichaud, and many of us know their situation with their daughter. And we are praying that tomorrow when she goes to, to her MRI, that, we, that, that she would be healed. You know, that no longer will she need cancer treatments or radiation or any of this stuff. You know, we're just praying that there's healing for Brielle. But you know what I appreciate so much, and I respect Nick and Trish in huge ways, is that they've never stopped testifying in this horrible situation. They continue to preach the gospel, even in light of their suffering. How about us? Are we allowing distractions to keep us from speaking? Is it keeping us silent? I'm praying, God, God, show me how to reach my neighbors. Give me opportunities. Give me creativity. Help me to get outside these four walls because my job as a youth pastor can't be an excuse to get outside. Yes, I get to pour into students here, but I still have a responsibility outside of this church to bring people in, just like all of us do. You know, um, the second myth sometimes that, we, that keep us silent is that um, we think maybe only pastors are the ones who are, who are equipped to share the gospel. Maybe we think that, well, Sundays are when the gospel is shared. You know, sometimes we think, well, evangelism isn't my gift. Well, you know what? Timothy, he might have been timid. Maybe he was bold, I don't know. But Paul still had to remind him in chapter four, hey, do the work of an evangelist. Because you know what? God called us to go make disciples. There's no, he doesn't take into consideration your gifts or your not gifts. He says, this is the responsibility of anybody who comes into my kingdom. We're all called to make disciples. We're all called to go out and to testify. Just like when I moved into my house, I don't like cleaning, but it's still my responsibility to clean, right? Or when you have kids and you don't enjoy cooking, but it's still your responsibility to feed them. When we come into the kingdom of God, even if we get scared or timid or fearful to testify, it's still our responsibility, each one of us. So how are we doing? It's hard. I still get nervous. I still get nervous. And maybe, maybe you'll never lead somebody to Christ, but you'll never know unless you start trying. 
unless you start testifying. And maybe even if you continuously share the gospel and you never get that privilege to lead somebody to Christ, you never know how those seeds are gonna germinate and take root and who you're gonna see in the kingdom of heaven because you planted that seed. We're all called to evangelize, to testify. And lastly, I think we actually sometimes live by fear. We live by fear because we think, what are people gonna think of me? Are they gonna think I'm crazy in some cult? Are they gonna think that I'm in, uh, intolerant? Are they gonna think I'm weird? Are they, what, are they, like, what am I even gonna say? How do I even share the gospel? You know what, if you're scared, start to ask God to give you power. Because in verse seven, look what it says. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but what did he give us? He gave us a power or the spirit of power. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in me. That's what it says in Ephesians. In Romans, it says, I no longer have to be in slavery to fear. Why? Because I'm a child of the most high God. He's got my back. So when we go out from this place, how are we gonna testify? We get to testify in boldness and in power because God has given us his power. When you read through scripture and you read of like ordinary people like you and me, just normal people, but they do crazy things, not because they're awesome, but because the God in them is awesome. They're able to lay hands on the sick and the sick are healed. They're able to see the dead raised. They're able to see... Um, People come to Christ in droves. Man, it was crazy. Well, this, God hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit who lives in us hasn't changed. We still have that power. So fear should have no place in our life. Rather, when we start to feel afraid, asking God, God, give me power. Give me your boldness. Taking every thought captive and saying, no, fear has no place here because God has given me his Holy Spirit and he's given me power. You know, last week I was driving home from church and uh, I came across an accident and there was quite a few people standing around. It was before the, the first responders got there and I thought, oh man, I should just get out of the way and not be a, like, you know, another standing person there. Um, and so I turned around and I started to find a different way home. And then I, I was like, oh, I should stop. And like, actually, why didn't I stop and go and see what was up and go pray for that person or whatever happened? So I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn around. So I turned around and I tried to get there. But by the time I got back, the first responders were there and got me out of the way. And I was just like, ah, oh, God, I wanna be quicker to hear your voice. I was scared to death. What would that be like to get out? There's an accident and go, guys, is it okay if I pray? But I knew I needed to. You know, the thing about power is that it's scary places that it's shown. We have to actually step out in those scary times because then God shows up. And his power, when it's manifested, people can only say, that's God's work. It's not because of us, it's because of our God. And we can actually lead people to him and testify to the gospel when his power shows up. You know, it continues on and says that we've been given a spirit of love as well. Jesus said, it's, as you love one another, then all men will know that you are my disciples. And what did Jesus say? He said, hey, in 1 John it says, if you love God, then you will obey his commands because obeying is loving God. And what did God command us? To go make disciples. He's commanded us to testify. So how do we show love to God? Fan into flame your gifts. Use them in the Holy Spirit. 
and testify. Share the gospel. And we need love to do that. Because if we're not thinking about the person, then we're going to come across with a hammer. But if we're loving the person and we're showing God's power, God gets to do his work in those people that we testify to. You know, lastly, Paul says that we've been given the Holy Spirit of self-discipline. It's a little bit of a different word from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And what he's actually uh, talking about is a wise head giving us wisdom. You know, um, in the face of Bill 10, we could shrink back and be fearful for our kids. But you know what? Fear has no place in our life. So what are we supposed to do? Stand up and ask God, fill us with power, fill us with love, and give us wisdom to know how to stand against Bill 10 for our kids rather than shrinking back in fear. Why? Because God's given us a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline, of wisdom, We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need to share the gospel. So how about you? How are you using your gifts? What are your gifts? If you don't know them, get to know them. Start asking, God, fill me. Show me what my gifts are. He'll show you. He wants to use you no matter what age. He wants to use you. You know, and then if you do know your gifts, start using them if you're not already. Start using your spiritual and your natural gifts on the platforms that God has given you. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about different people that I know that are doing these things. I love it when my students invite their friends to church or to youth group because I know that that's scary for them. I love it. One of my friends, she's like, Amy, I, there's a new girl at work. She's really, uh, she loves hiking as well. So I'm going to start inviting her this summer. And I'm like, yes, do it. Just do life with this girl. Let's, let's hike with her and hopefully we'll get to share the gospel of power and love and, or in power, love and self-discipline. You know, I get excited about that. You know, my, my sister-in-law this weekend or a while ago, about six months ago, she was, she's been praying and she's like, God, how do I reach out? And she felt like God say, hey, throw this girl's party. So she had all these little girls. She's a stay-at-home mom and she helps out in the school. And so she invited all the little girls in her kids' class, said, hey, come over for a party. So they had a party. Why? Because she wants to share the gospel with these little girls as well as their parents. You know, it's just being creative. I know for some of you men, it's hard. You work in hostile environments and crude environments. And if you were to just be like, Jesus loves you, you'd probably get punched, right? And so there's, you need wisdom. So how do you share the gospel in those situations? I know another guy who, who's like, I just have to live consistently. I have to live consistently and then share it as I gain that credibility. And I know that when sometimes things go wrong, he looks to his coworker and he says, man, I just got to pray. And he'll pray and then boom, God's power shows up. You guys, use our gifts. We get to use our gifts, fan them into flame to testify to the gospel. What are some different ways? You know, maybe inviting a couple or a family over for supper. Maybe it's talking to parents at your kids' sporting events or at the park. Maybe it's asking people, what do you think about God? Or maybe it's putting invites in people's mailboxes. Maybe it's a community barbecue. Maybe, and actually I think we should every day pray for our coworkers and opportunities to share with them. You know, maybe it's starting an alpha group in your, in your workplace. I don't know, I'm not you. And I can't tell you what that looks like, but you know what, you can ask God and say, okay God, what's it look like? How do I get to use my gifts 
moving forward to testify to your kingdom, to your gospel. I want to close with an image and just kind of paint a picture for you. Think, imagine that you're in this dark forest. It's a really thick, dark forest. It's at night. You can't see much. You're straining to see things, and you just see little shadows because of the moon that kind of shines through the trees. You know, you can't see much. But then all of a sudden, you start seeing little flickers kind of all around. You can't, you can't see much around them. The trees aren't illuminated, but you see the light because the light pierces the dark. And soon enough, those little flames start to become bonfires. And those bonfires are actually illuminating the trees around them. And the trees around them are feeling the heat. You can see the heat rising through the leaves of the trees. You know, and you start to see this in different pockets are illuminated in the forest. Think about if each of those flames were every Christian in Red Deer. Think about what it would be like if our little candle, our little gifts, we started to fan and they turned into bonfires, people wouldn't just see the light, but they would feel and be illuminated, feel the heat and be illuminated. But I wanna take it a step further. What if every bonfire, every Christian was like a burning tree in that forest? What would happen? We know that the forest would be engulfed in flames and forest fires spread cra- like crazy. And the, and the thing about forest fires, they're horrible in the natural realm. But in this analogy, think about what would happen. You can see forest fires from miles away. It changes the atmosphere. It can change the, the context that we're living in. We've, we've experienced smoke come over and it changes how we even feel the sun. You know, it changes things. A forest fire is a powerful, powerful force. What would happen if we were all burning trees? Red deer would be engulfed with fire for God. And that fire for God would change our nation and change our world because that's what God does. So can I encourage you guys, fan into flame your gifts. Use them in the power of the Holy Spirit to testify to God's gospel. I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna close in prayer. And with every head bowed and eyes closed and stuff, maybe you don't know your gifts. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, ah, I don't even know my gifts. I feel hooped. Well, you know what? We've served a powerful God and he loves to give gifts. So, With every head bowed, if you don't know your gifts and you're saying, God, I want to know my gifts, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because we're going to pray for you guys. So if there's any of you, awesome. We're going to pray for you guys. And maybe some of you know your gifts, but you're thinking, God, I need power again. I need to be filled again to testify. And if that's you today, if you're saying, God, fill me again with boldness, I'd encourage you to put your hand up and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Jesus, we just thank you that you are God in heaven. We thank you that you are awesome and that that you came to earth and you died for us. You rose again and you called us to do life with you. But you've also asked us to partner with you and to share your gospel. And so, Father, those who don't know their gifts today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would show them, that you would give them a feeling or a, a, a picture as to what you want to do in them what you want to give to them. And God, I pray that you would ignite that right now, that you would impart your gifts to your children today. 
And Jesus, for those who know your gifts and want more power, Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask and we believe that you are gonna fill us with power. You're gonna embolden us. You're gonna give us words to say. You're gonna give us creativity. Jesus, I pray right now that you would speak over each person, that you would put a picture in their head of a person that they need to testify to, that they need to share the gospel with. God, I pray that you would give creativity today and throughout this week, showing us how we can use our gifts in the platforms that you've placed us. So Jesus, we know that we can't do this alone. So we look to you and we thank you that you're gonna empower us. And Jesus, we know that it's all for your glory. So God, be glorified today and forever. In Jesus' powerful name.